Well, as most of you know, we're in the middle of a sermon series right now, examining the way of Jesus. We've looked at Jesus' way of downward mobility, the way in which he called his first disciples, the way in which he handled temptation, the way he responded to the anger inside of him, the way he preached the good news and healed others. And today we're going to specifically examine the way in which he discipled and mentored others around him. And I wanted to kind of start off by first just kind of praising you guys a little bit. I've been a part of a lot of conversations lately that have been extremely encouraging over the last month or so. About four or five weeks ago, I had the privilege of preaching a sermon, and just one of the points I made in that sermon along this series is that Jesus was a question asker, that he was someone that asked a lot of questions to people as a way to express interest in their life and to show them that he cared. And since that, I have had so many people approach me, many of them out of the blue, and say, hey man, how you doing? Hey Justin, how's Sarah doing? How's Sarah's new job going? What's new in your world? What's God speaking to you lately? What color of underwear are you wearing? It's been pretty awesome just to be kind of receiving that, honestly, on that end. And so I hope you guys have been doing that to others, and maybe you've been some of the you know, people receiving that as well. I had... Um, I had breakfast this week with a young adult here, and I said, man, what's, what's one thing maybe God's speaking to you through this whole sermon series? And he said, you know, I've always kind of been the type of person that when I'm with my friends, I always talk about myself. He goes, I just kind of, I've paid attention to that, and I'm kind of obsessed with myself. And he said, now when I'm with my friends, I'm really trying to ask a lot of questions and show them that I care. Scotty, can we turn this mic down a little bit? It's cracking a lot. And I had... I had lunch two weeks ago with a college student here at Wellspring, and I'd never hung out with this kid, and so we spent some time together. We talked a lot about his story, and when we were done, we were about to leave. He got up, and he looked at me, and he said, hey, man, we talked about myself a lot today. Next time we meet, I want to talk about you, and I want to hear about your story, and I want to hear about your life. An 18-year-old kid said that to me. That's huge, guys. So Trajan, thank you, brother. Thank you. Way to set the example. You're 18, right? Okay, making sure I got your age right. So, it's just been really encouraging to see that, and I just wanted to share that with you guys. It's subtle. You know, we're not throwing on big events or drawing in millions of people, but I think little by little, we're, we're learning what it means to follow the way of Jesus. So, we're going to go ahead and um, open up our Bibles. We're going to dive in to see what Scripture has to say about the way Jesus discipled and mentored others. Open up to Mark chapter 6. It should be page um, 703 in your pew Bible. Starting in verse 7. And what we're about to read takes place after Jesus um, had spent a significant amount of time investing in his disciples. He's about to send them out on a journey to share the good news with others. So we're kind of picking up where Jesus is giving his 12 disciples a mission. Mark 6 verse 7. Calling the twelve to him, he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, no money, sorry, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, 
leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. Now the first thing that catches your attention in this passage that I absolutely love is that it says Jesus sent out his disciples two by two. He knew the struggles they were going to face and the fear that would try to hold them back, the insecurity that would tell them they weren't prepared for the job or that they didn't know enough. He knew that life was hard enough to, you know, to go through it alone and that they needed another brother who shared the same faith and conviction as they did, who could stand by them when their faith started to waver. And another fascinating aspect is Jesus, was what Jesus commands his disciples to take on this journey. He says, just take a staff. And the book of Matthew is actually more descriptive in what he told his disciples, um, uh, what was ahead of them. So let's look at this real quick. This is what he kind of told them before he sent them out on this mission. He said, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. You will be handed over to authorities to be beaten. They will, uh, when they arrest you, you will be hated by everyone because of me. But the one who stands firm till the end will be saved. Doesn't that sound like a fun mission to be sent out on? Sign me up for that baby, right? Yeah, I want to be arrested and beaten. So Jesus tells them that this is going to happen. He says, all I want you to take is a staff. Just a skinny wooden staff. No bag, no bread, no smartphone, no credit card, no pocket knife, no first aid kit, no iPod. Just a wooden staff. That's all you guys get. He's basically telling them, hey, I'm sending you out to a bunch of strangers in parts of Israel that you've never been to before. And you just got to trust me. All you get is a staff. And he wanted them to realize and trust that God was enough. And they had Jesus with them. And it's just the same for those of us today. The Holy, if we are in Christ, the Holy Spirit is inside of us, and we're fully equipped to carry on the mission. And another easy truth to kind of look over here, we're kind of just um, hitting at some small ones, is in verse 10. If you look at that again, verse 10 says, Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. Now this may not seem like much, but Jesus' purpose of including this instruction was to um, kind of prohibit his disciples from moving on if a better living accommodation presented itself somewhere else. He wanted them to be content in their situation and to be present where they were at that time. You see, it's easy, right, for us to kind of fantasize and dream about life somewhere else, how it would be so much better with that other person in my life or in that other city or that state or country and always think the grass is greener. But Jesus didn't want them to miss what God had for them right here and right now. One commentator wrote, The spread of the gospel has the priority over personal likes and dislikes. I love that. The spread of the gospel has the priority over personal likes and dislikes. Let's go ahead and scroll down a little bit. In Mark 6, we're going to kind of flesh this out in more practical ways. Starting in verse 30. 30 through 44, this is a story of Jesus um, feeding the 5,000. Mark 6, verse 30. 
the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people set down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten was five thousand. So from both stories, we kind of discover that Jesus didn't want to do everything himself, right? He could have easily, you know, kind of healed everyone in his surrounding as Bob did a few weeks ago, just kind of, you know, waved the magic wand, if you will. He could have just immediately fed everyone without including his disciples in the mission, you know. But he looked at them and he said, you give them something to eat. Go find out how much food we have. I'm delegating this responsibility to you. He put the work into the hands of his disciples rather than letting them sit back and enjoy the show. They needed to learn to trust God and to do the things that Jesus did, and they never would have if he hadn't given them them the opportunity to follow in his steps. So in the first story, starting in verse 7, Jesus sends out his disciples two by two all over Israel. He couldn't obviously physically be there with them as they traveled, so he just had to trust that they were somehow going to handle the task. And if you look at verse 30 of of chapter 6, we learn at the beginning of this story that the disciples gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they taught and all that they had done. And this is very important because from this passage, we learn that one of the ways Jesus discipled people was by assessing them and giving them feedback. He would send them out on missions to preach the good news, to heal people. He would say, hey, feed these people. And then they would come back and evaluate kind of how that experience was. He would say, hey, you really, you know, you really rocked this. That was awesome. That thing you did there, that was a little kind of a want-want, a little bit of a failure. So we need to work on that area. We need to grow your faith, you know, um, in that area. And, you know, it wasn't just the experience, you know, that helped them grow. It was the evaluated experience. And I remember when I was the one given a ministry assignment, and I was the one that was going to be evaluated 
it was February of 2012, and I was given the terrifying assignment of preaching a sermon here at Wellspring. I had never in my life preached a sermon anywhere, and it is no small task trying to fill the shoes of the Reverend Robert Miller people. (laughs) I was scared to death. Bob gave me free reign on any topic I wanted to preach on, and that's almost like more terrifying, right? Because it's just endless possibilities, and you don't want to pick the one that he's an expert on or the one that the guy that sits in the fourth row might be an expert on because then they're just going to be going, psh, the whole time you're preaching, right? You don't want that. So, you know, I picked my, uh, I picked my message, and I started working on this baby about two weeks out. It took me two and a half weeks to write a 19-minute sermon because I had no clue what I was doing. So the weekend that I'm scheduled to preach approaches, and I'm getting the butterflies, right? I'm starting to feel like sick. I'm having a hard time sleeping. I would lay in my bed, and I'd visualize myself. I know I'm going to get up here in front of 200 people and just make a complete fool of myself. People are going to throw tomatoes at me. It's going to be horrible. Worst case scenario, right? Anybody ever been down that road? Thinking the worst case scenario is like there's no hope. I'm, I'm just going to, you know, the church is going to go under after this service. So Sunday, February 19th, 2012, rolls around. I get out of my bed. I come to church, and it's game time. And I am freaking out inside. But I don't want anybody to see that. So I put on kind of my poker face, and I walk in real confident. Because if people know that you're nervous, then they kind of become nervous for you, and they feel sorry for you. And rather than even paying attention to what you say, they're kind of watching you, waiting for you to collapse or just fumble over all your words. And I didn't want that, so I had to act real confident. And I remember that whole morning, I was recalling something one of my music professors told me at college. I would always get nervous when I had to perform for him. And he, he, would, always, he, he would always say, Justin, every time you have to get up in front of a group of people, and it makes you nervous, he said, always take three deep breaths and exhale slowly. Not amazing advice, but very helpful. At 10.25 a.m. that morning, I went back into the office, shut the door, and took about 35 deep breaths and exhaled slowly because I thought I was physically going to die. And somehow, by the grace of God, I got through my sermon called The Ministry of Listening. I don't know if any of you guys ever even remember that. And I don't think we lost any church members that weekend. So that was a bonus for me. I was pretty proud about that. But it all started because Pastor Bob gave me a chance. And he could have, you know, as the senior pastor, he could have said, you know what, no. This is my platform. This is my show. I'm the one that speaks. I don't want anybody coming in stealing my thunder. I don't want this young buck kind of make, you know, maybe, you know, being just, you know, competition to me. He didn't care about that. He gave me the chance to do this, to preach, to fail a little bit for sure, and to learn a little bit and grow through the process. And so I've been preaching three, over three, three and a half years since my first sermon. I've gotten a little bit better. Sometimes I still fail, but hopefully I'm improving. You might disagree, but hey, haters are going to hate, right? So... I can't do anything about that. So I thank you guys for your patience because this is not what I had planned to do with my life. So Jesus was always trying to get his disciples to a place where they could operate without him being physically with them. In the beginning stages, he was the one kind of doing all the work, right? He was the one preaching and healing people, and they were just kind of spectators in a way, just being inspired and encouraged by his words and his lifestyle. And then a little by little, he started to give them some more responsibility, right? He would say, hey guys, I'm going to go to this town, and I want you to come with me. 
we're going to preach the gospel, and, you know, we're going to heal some people. I'm going to give you a little bit of work. And eventually, he got to a point where he sent them out completely on their own. He was not physically with them, and he just had to trust that they were somehow going to be okay. Were they going to knock it out of the park and hit grand slams? Probably not. But he had to trust that they were going to be okay. He was more concerned about them being faithful and obedient than he was how they would perform the mission. Jesus was always giving himself away, um, everything he was and everything that he had, in order for the mission to extend beyond himself because he knew his time on earth was limited. Most scholars actually believe, this isn't really even that debatable, most scholars believe that out of Jesus' three-year public ministry, he spent 18 months just with those 12 guys. 18 months immersed in relationship with these 12 guys. They laughed, cried, prayed, and traveled together. They preached together, cast out demons, healed others. They spent lots of time with each other's families. Jesus held nothing back. He wasn't keeping any of his ministry secrets to himself. He wasn't afraid that they would go on and do greater things than him. And actually, he wanted them to go on and do greater things than him. In the book of John, Jesus tells this to his disciples. He says, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And all of us here today are um, leaders in some capacity. If you're a parent, you're a leader to your kids. That's pretty obvious. If you have authority, we have some CEOs here. If you have authority at your workplace, you're a leader there to your employees or coworkers. But I think in more subtle ways, we're leaders to our friends and family because our words and actions have influence over them. It might be in small ways, but for better or worse, what we say and do affects people in our lives. And there are some of us here today that like to do everything. We like to be the one in control. We like to be seen as the expert. We like to keep, you know, kind of our, you know, our work secrets or our ministry secrets to ourselves. You know, we don't want anyone else to know. Maybe they'll steal our thunder a little bit. You know, we never want to delegate responsibility to other people or really allow them to lead because we're afraid that they might go on and outperform us or, you know, do better than we are at our job. Sometimes we act like the wizard behind the curtain who wants to hide everything and never reveal, you know, kind of their secrets. And living this way leads to burnout, as maybe some of us has found. And a leader that many of us will recognize who operates this way is a man named Michael Scott, who was the former regional manager of, you know, the paper company uh, Dunder Mifflin in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Michael was a man who always wanted to be in the know. He wanted to be included in everything, and he always had to be the top dog. He never wanted to see anyone underneath him succeed and go on and do greater things. In fact, he had this to say when his employee, Ryan, took a job promotion. So Ryan got promoted to corporate, where he is a little fish in every pond, whereas back here in Scranton,
jumping pick for a team or being the pick for a team and then showing up and realizing that the team doesn't exist <laughs> or that the sport doesn't exist. I should have known. Football? Don't be like Michael Scott. The Michael Scott way, I assure you, is not the way of Jesus. Mike Breen, in his book, Building a Discipling Culture, wrote, Good leaders always get people to the stage where they are ready to accept delegated responsibility. Leaders must, be always, must always be looking to give their jobs away to people who can do it as well or better than they can. And Mother Teresa was a great example of someone who lived in this manner. She didn't hold back anything, any of her compassion or love or gifts or talents or service to anyone. She gave everything away to care for the poorest of the poor. She knew the value of passing on everything that she was and everything that she knew to others for her mission to extend beyond her own life. And one of the women who served under her, named Sister Prima, described Mother Teresa as one who always made an effort to get to know each of her people's strengths and needs. She was a great listener and focused intently on helping others grow. She was completely focused on helping one person at a time. She knew the importance of personal investment and relationship with others to help them thrive and develop into the people God created them to be. And I think there are some of us here on kind of the other side of the spectrum. This is the side that I kind of maybe fall in line with more than the other one. Um, There's those of us who feel that we don't know enough, that we don't know enough to share our faith with that person that works with us, that we don't know enough to lead a Bible study, or that we don't know enough to invest in that person that's two or three years younger than us. Or we feel that maybe we're not good enough because of past failures. And we think, I could never lead like Phil leads or Bob leads. I could never do the things that Megan does or Renee does or whoever. And so we just choose to kind of cruise through life, keeping things as they are, rarely reaching out, and rarely investing in anyone. And it's not uncommon, to be honest with you guys, for me to feel this way a lot of the times to feel that I don't know what I'm doing. I meet with people a lot who share things with me that are very, you know, uh, vulnerable and just sometimes very deep and profound. And a lot of times I sit there and I think to myself, what am I going to say to this person? I have no idea what to say. And they're staring at me, wanting a response. So I got to say something. So I often feel just very unqualified to meet with people or to be standing here today or to be in any type of ministry position. And so my temptation is to kind of keep things light rather than probing around at people because I'm fearful sometimes of what they might share with me and what their response might require of me and my time and energy and effort. So we've got to kind of consider what the end game is. What's the end game? For how we live. And the end game is that many people are saved, healed, and restored. The purpose is to simply be faithful to what God has called us to do and to trust that He will guide us in what to say and what to do in the situations that He puts us in.
Jesus is far more concerned with our faithfulness and obedience than the outcome. There were many times in the New Testament where the disciples were not able to cast uh, demons out of people. And in those situations, when he gathered them up to evaluate, he didn't say, hey, that man you didn't cast a demon out of, he's going to hell now. So way to go. Way to screw that up. He just said, you know what? Good job with with some of this stuff, this demon casting thing. We'll work on that. We'll work on that. We'll we'll improve on that. We've got to just grow your faith in that area because you're weak in that area in your life. And as we come close to kind of wrapping it up today, I want to ask if you're a person in leadership, if you're a person in leadership, how are you equipping people under you? Are you giving them opportunities to lead? Are you giving them appropriate levels of responsibility? Or are you allowing fear to hold you back because you're afraid that they might go on and do a better job than you? For those that aren't in such obvious leadership roles, are you open to being challenged? You might feel that you're not good enough or you don't know enough, but are you open to letting God use you in some capacity? Maybe you've been in a small group, just going to throw out a few examples. Maybe you've been in a small group for a couple years now, and your group leader has asked you, he says, you know what, we're going to multiply now. We're going to break up, and each of us are going to reach out to new people so we can disciple more people. You have everything inside of you through the Holy Spirit. You're equipped. You've spent a lot of time with that person and been a part of their life and their ministry. Are you going to be faithful and step out and say, yeah, I'm going to do that? Maybe you've been, maybe you're younger. You've been going to Young Life for three or four years. You're a high school student or a college freshman. Are you just showing up to club just to be entertained because it's just fun? Or are you seeing yourself as a leader? Are you starting to invest in the freshman or maybe serve in the ministry wildlife or spend time with people outside of club? Or are you letting fear and laziness kind of dictate how much you invest in others? Now, we've kind of covered a lot of material today, and before we wrap it up, I want to kind of just get feedback, just real quick. Um, I think this is always just kind of encouraging. What is maybe one thing that we've examined that God spoke to you today, or maybe stood out to you as you've compared your life with the way of Christ? Maybe something that challenged you or encouraged you. Maybe one thing that just stood out to you, or God spoke to you today. The floor is open. Yes, Charlotte. Yeah, she says sometimes it's easy to love others, which some of us might disagree with that, but, but to go beyond that and equipping them to do the same. Good. Anyone else? All right, one person. Good. Yes. All right, good. He almost didn't make it, so he's just glad to be here. Good. Anyone else? Yes, thank you, Robert. Goodness.
Yeah, yeah, that's good. No matter how awesome you think you are or competent, it's always, it's always going to be a little bit out of your comfort zone when God calls you to do something. I get terrified every time I'm up here, honestly. My voice shakes. I'm just like, oh, this is not my comfort zone, people. I want to be behind a drum set. That's my comfort zone, not speaking. Brad. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, sometimes you don't see kind of the effect that you have on people. Sometimes it takes years for that to unfold. Yes, man, now we're rolling. Will. I was going to say, what you're saying, it just makes sense to equip people to send them out because there's so many people that need reach, and one person couldn't possibly, you know, do that on their own. Mm-hmm. If everybody who's somewhat talented just kind of didn't spread that equipping to other people, I mean, so such few people would be reached because of that. So it just yeah. Yeah, if we didn't equip others and multiply our groups and our influence, we would barely reach anyone with the good news. That's great. Before Jesus left earth and ascended to heaven, he told this to his disciples. As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. And just as God the Father sent his son Jesus, to give his life away to others. He is sending us out into our places of work and recreation and school and to the neighborhoods in which we live to give our life, lives away to others, to make his name great among the earth. Will you join him in his mission? Let's pray together.